Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Joe, I feel like you've been giving me fair warning in snide comments here and there, but as frustrating as Oliver Mm. was, he certainly made the show more enjoyable. (laughs) I feel like this week's episode, The Nana, was just all over the goddamn place. Yeah. Don't you just love, like, introducing, like, a major family character on like the back nine of a season like (laughs) (laughs) the basic premise of this episode is that uh sandy cohen's mom is coming to visit he's had kind of a strained relationship with her for x amount of years and everyone's expecting her to be this grump and she's like the ideal grandmother just like so loving so understanding um, and that's not good enough for Sandy. Sandy knows that something's up. So he pushes some buttons and just is immediately revealed, I have lung cancer, I'm dying in six months. And it's like, well, that's a fucking tone change yeah. out of nowhere. Uh, and then it's like this battle of like, go get help. Don't die. Like, I want you here. But all while this is happening, Ryan is on the search to find Marissa, who is ran off to Chino? <laughs> like, question mark? Like, it is... This episode, there's, like, not a single thing that happens in this episode that actually connects in my mind. It's like, this is all... This is all filler and stupid, is what it comes down wow, to. Wow. Filler and stupid. Wow. Mm-hmm. How do you feel? Is this your favorite episode of the season? It's not my favorite episode of the season. I love everything with the Nana, but then again, I just love Jewish people. So <laughs> the fact that they're like that, like it. I mean, it's so real that I that fact of like Sandy going through the house, like getting rid of all the bread. <laughs> we need to get rid of everything. <laughs> I also love that the there's like another Jewish couple in the OC that you know we're just gonna go to the Ackermans for Passover, bring over wine. Yeah, this is the first we hear about their existence. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it, it's not my it's not my favorite episode. 
it's fun because of all the antics. I love that, like, we are truly seeing Marissa have, like, no impulse control or the power to make any good decision. Like, she's literally, like, this rewatch through your eyes, Matt, is making me realize just how much of a brat (laughs) Marissa is. Marissa's the absolute worst. And and I actually I mean we'll we'll get into it next week's episode, but next week's episode she has a reaction to something that pissed me off so fucking bad with like her her selfishness. Um I will give credit where credit's due. This is another one of these episodes where it literally picks up exactly at the moment that we left off, which is kind of rare, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the OC. But uh, it also has something that we've talked about pretty recently, which is that the the very jangle pop piano theme kicks in on like a very dour note where mm-hmm. it's like, you know, it's it's Julie and Ryan having a standoff and she's like, when I find her, I'm going to lock her up. And he's like, not if I find her first. <laughs> dude, like, it's like, it's just <laughs> ridiculous. California. Like, California. Now. I will say we we jump from that. The theme song leads into Sandy prepping for his mom to show up, and I was smiling ear to ear throughout most of that. Like him just trying to be like, "All right, we got to do this. We got to do this. We're gonna have to cook. We're gonna be. This is gonna be like a real thing." Like, like he's so manic in a way that you don't usually get to see Sandy Cohen be manic while still kind of being cool and collected. But yeah, I mean, as all as is. All this craziness is happening. Summer is like trying to prove that she can be a great girlfriend to Seth by uh, reading the four. Was it the four questions um, before dinner? I think it's the four questions. Yeah, the four questions before dinner. But Ryan has gone rogue because he is he is going to find Marissa and bring her home before Julie Cooper has her like arrested and locked up in a sane asylum or whatever. And uh, this is where I get to my note that just says, oh, cool, we're still supposed to care about Teresa and Eddie. (laughs) Because she hides out at Teresa's house, which leads Ryan to show up just in time for the big engagement party that they're having that day. That is the the most frustrating thing about that whole storyline. It's like, why would you still want to get engaged if you, like, left you abandoned him and then went (laughs) you abandoned him and went to your ex-boyfriend and like presumably they're all like 19 18 right like your ex high school boyfriend yeah like like she definitely she definitely cheated on you with her ex if you were truly engaged and then she's like no i do want to marry eddie i was just scared and like Joe, I need you to clarify something because maybe this, if this is something that will be developed more in the season, then, you know, say, give it time. But are we supposed to at this point just, is that, is that how they're writing out this whole Teresa Eddie subplot? Is just, she ran to LA because she was scared, but really they're actually a great couple and like we should be happy that they're getting married. Like, it's, it's, is this where we're being left off with these two? Oh, Matt, anyone who's listening to this show right now who knows what's coming just in the next few episodes is uh, is is doing that shake head like, oh, sweet baby angel. Um, there's a lot more 
uh, Teresa okay, so and there's Eddie. There's more Eddie Teresa. Great. Yeah. So excited. My favorite subplot that they've had on this show. Exactly. But like episodically, if you take like this whole like four season first season, yeah, this is, right? This is over like the for the the Eddie Teresa plot line has all happened within a matter of like a week and a half. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> like yes. like store in the world of the OC. <laughs> Which I guess like makes sense then that like she would like change her mind and go back and he would forgive her like I don't know at this point I like I, I at this point I want to see like more Eddie just because uh um uh, he's hot but um I got to say that it, it, it episodically it works because the first season as I've said before is about like not being trying to find your place in your new home and like these constant reminders of how he doesn't fit in of how he and and now we're reaching a point where it's those reminders were very early on and it was fish out of water but now we're getting the push and pull the the tension is coming from these forces that are bringing him and calling him uh back to chino now like we've been in chino how many times (laughs) a lot yeah. yeah but you know what that that is true because the best line in this entire episode mm-hmm. comes towards the very end where they come back to the cohen's house and sandy says so how were how was everything at home and he says you tell me i was just in chino yeah and it's like it's that moment where you're really like yep. realize like oh ryan is ryan is in like he he is he is part of Newport Beach in his heart and mind now. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is where his home is. I I don't even remember what triggered this, but as we're talking about it, I'll read this note that I wrote that just said, I'm so fucking over Marissa. Is this what I have to deal with for the rest of this series? Um, and I guess the answer is, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's just like... Like every problem in the world is the absolute worst, most terrible thing that's ever happened to another human being in the history of high school. And I'm going to have to chug a bunch of pain pills and and flee to Chino. Yeah, like I'm going to run to Chino. I'm going to pound drinks. I'm going to get held up at gunpoint by a psychopath that I'm the only person who couldn't recognize was a psychopath. Like, yeah, everything is so dramatic. And. And this isn't like my my pop culture thing, but I'm in the middle of watching Parenthood for the first time. And like in the Parenthood, where I'm at in the Parenthood, and I'll speak in vagalities, but a character is diagnosed with breast cancer. And like what is beautiful and different than watching the OC is that this this character gets diagnosed with breast cancer. And while it's shocking and, and like a terrible thing. I'm like, but this ain't the kind of show where this person's going to die. Like, like I'm already comforted by knowing like this show is about like people coming together and like love and positivity and like there, yes, there's going to be arguments and fights, but you know that like at the 40 minute mark, things are going to tie up nicely and nothing truly bad will ever happen to the Braverman family. And it Mm -hmm. is the the total opposite. Every episode of the OC, I'm like, is this person going to get shot? Is this person going to get in a car accident? Like, is someone going to unexplainably die off camera and that's yep. how they're going to write them off? Like, I don't fucking know. It's so stressful, Joe. This show is so stressful. Yep. <laughs> 
I love that this was your comfort show. <laughs> Again, it was my comfort show because the because the problems of rich white people, <laughs> the white piece yeah. white people problems, like oh, there's all this drama going on that like my drama, my my insignificance. It, not in its significance, but like, you know, my the things that I'm experiencing pale in comparison to, you know, Marissa acting out. And also, like, it's also now I'm thinking about it and I'm like, wow, I could have, like, really taken that as, like, a as confirmation that I should be more dramatic about things. But I took it the yep. healthy way, which is like, no, I'm going to I'm going to react like with measured and proportionate with measure uh with measured proportionality how about that yeah what's the what's the lyric in panic at the disco with poison rationality yes, yes exactly <laughs> with a sense <laughs> with a sense of poise and rationality <laughs> um the only other thing that i wrote down and it's such a minor subplot in this episode was that like I think that the Jimmy Haley relationship is really cute, but they have gone so hot cold back and forth with this relationship so many times in such a short period of time that I'm like already kind of over it at the same time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like Jimmy Cooper and Haley have almost been a couple four times twenty three episodes <laughs> into this show. I know. Are they? <laughs> it's just like. Jimmy, the it angers me every time Jimmy is like, "No, I'm friends with your sister," and I'm like, "That doesn't fucking mean like, that doesn't mean anything." anything. If you want to be like, "No, I'm in love with your sister, and I used to date her," yeah, that's an actual problem. Yeah, <laughs> like you being friends with her sister, like, so that makes things e- like I I would love to date one of my siblings' friends who already knows the insanity of the family they're about to sign up to be a part of. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like there's no... okay. Like, I, you know, if I'm seeing somebody, I always feel like I have to be like, all right, so here's the deal. Like, <laughs> these, this is what the personality traits are of all of my family members. Mm-hmm. Like, the best way to survive is to, like, not engage in these types of behaviors when they bring up the topic. Like, you're going to just give yourself... But, if you're dating someone who's been like a friend of the family in some way, shape, or form forever, it's like you don't have to do that. They already yeah. know, like he knows what to. If him and Haley get married, he knows exactly what to expect out of his sister-in-law. He knows what he's signing up for in his father-in-law, and he knows that his ex-wife is going to be his mother-in-law. Yeah. <laughs> well, not yet. Not yet. Not we'll in this say, episode. Look, yeah. Not in this episode, but I mean, it's coming, baby. Yeah. It's coming. <laughs> it's coming like a speeding train. Put down that smartphone and listen to me. I'm Matthew Milligan, professional musician and lifelong Weird Al fan. Each week, I'm joined by professional podcaster and close personal friend Matt Kelly to take a dive off the deep end into the vast career of pop culture icon Weird Al Yankovic on our show, Weird Algorithm. Along with some very special guests from the worlds of music and comedy, we tackle every song, every television appearance, and every bit of sketch comedy Al has produced in chronological order covering the good old days of My Bologna and Eat It, the fun zone of tacky and white and nerdy, and everything in between. As we go, we're ranking the songs, albums, and music videos in the hopes of creating the ultimate guide to a career bigger than the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota. 
So the next time you're having one of those days stuck in a traffic jam wondering why does this always happen to me, just kick off your sneakers and stick around for a while because we've got it all on Weird Algorithm. Available wherever you get your podcasts. And now you know. Was that enough references? But yeah, I mean, those were my thoughts on it. You as the uh, the veteran OC viewers or anything in this episode that you're like, how could we? Because you know that I'm the king of skipping over Julie Cooper plot lines. So I mean, but I no, there's barely one in this one. (laughs) You're right. No, it's Julie Cooper is getting like Julie Cooper is going to be front and center for the next few episodes after next week. So (laughs) yeah. And so it's just going to be very Julie Cooper and Eddie and Teresa heavy is what you're telling me I can strap in yeah, for. Yeah, just get ready. You 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 didn't like Julie Cooper. You're going to continue not to like her. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I'm waiting for the point where I'm like, Joe, I agree with you. She is the best character. You, it won't come for a while. Like, let's just, we're going to be like, we're going to be doing this show for a while before that happens. Uh, all right. Well, then let's talk about music for a second. So there's a couple songs that show up, and I'm going to tell these slightly out of order. Uh, first of all, when Jimmy checks in on Haley, you're hearing Gems Just a Ride. Um, Ryan and Marissa are talking at a barbecue, and you hear Chris Murray's Heartache. And then at the end of the episode, you hear Aqualung's Take Me Home. But also, I had to mention this, because at the engagement party, their blessed and modest mouths float on, and unequivocally no there is no chance in the world that the people at this engagement party are bumping the new modest mouse record (laughs) like you can't convince me of it you can't do anything to make me believe it like absolutely insane all of that being said i picked float on by modest mouse as my song of the episode i mean (laughs) come on like first of all like you couldn't it's so like a modest float on by modest mouse is on this playlist that I have called, uh, did I just walk into a Hollister? Because yep, it's right in that world. It's right? in that vein. It's that it's like, you know, switch foot, dare you to move. It, it's, um, it's some, like all the, uh, uh, Franz Ferdinand songs from that time. Yeah. Take me out. Yeah. It's a whole, it's a whole vibe, and I'm just looking at it, and it's like, wow, they, you're right, there is no way that they would have been playing, <laughs> like, I've been to those backyard boogies in Southern California, in, like, where they, like, no one's playing Float On by Modest Mouse, not even at that time. No, it, and, like, also, just, like, as someone who's had to bring the music for backyard parties, Float On is not the song you're playing for an all-ages, like, get-together. You know what I mean? Like, if I'm if I'm asked to provide music for my parents' 4th of July party, guess what? It's going to be a whole lot of, like, Motown music and then 60s, 70s, and 80s mainstays. You're not, you're not busting out a lot of brand-new, hot-on-the-chart indie rock band tracks. Like, it's just not... It's, it's so disingenuous, but it's so hilarious because... I don't know if this is a controversial controversial statement or not. It's my favorite Modest Mouse album. I have all of their albums, but good news for people who love bad news, I just think is like banger after banger on that track, on that album. Have you done and it for fl- uh, One Hit Thunder? Have you done? I don't know if they, I don't even know if they are uh, any hit Thunder in all honesty. I mean, I guess technically gun to most people's heads i guess that's the only one that they would be able to produce so so maybe maybe that should be on our list i don't even have that on our list 
We'll see. I'll I'll pitch that to Chris and see. Uh, I'll float it up. I'll float it up the flagpole and see who salutes. Um, and you agreed with me on uh, float on correct as the song of the episode. Absolutely, or? absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those like it. <laughs> you, it, for me, it's like contextually it makes no sense but i also don't give a fuck because it is yes. such a good song dude i love playing that song on guitar too but all right pop culture promo you know the spiel i've said it 22 other times but hey oc was a big pop culture moment what's something that's pop culture moment uh, that you're enjoying or were enjoying at some point in time because we do back catalog record these like a mofo. Uh, so, Joe, what's something that you've been vibing on in a big pop culture moment kind of way? So <laughs> I, I'm i bringing up one that I may have already said. I actually don't quite know. So, Matt, you can figure out what needs to happen <laughs> if it is something that <laughs> I've already said. But we... So... In 2019, a gay romance novel called Red, White, and Royal Blue was released, um, and it, like, exploded. It was, like, you know, at the top of the New York Times bestseller. Uh, Well, I read it back uh, in January of this year, and my God, it was just, like, it's delightful. It's fun. It's, like, steamy, but it's not too – it's a romance novel between two gay guys, so it's steamy, but it's not smutty. Um, and they're making it into a movie. And recently, as of recording this, the uh, director and the author of the film released a joint, uh, uh, dropped the teaser poster that is going to be coming out in August. So I may reread it again. It is a very fun book. It's also like really well written. And it takes place... Which is rare in the romance novel genre regardless. Yes. There's a lot of world building. I actually... um, I I have my friends, Heather and Ami, they are doing a um, Substack slash podcast uh, project where this whole year for 2023, they're only consuming um, queer things. They're only consuming Mm -hmm. queer art, you know, listening to queer voices. And when they asked me, they wanted me to be on the show. And I said, I want to talk about this book. <laughs> and yeah. so I recommend uh, my queer, the queerest year. If you can find them, uh, this is a twofer uh, queerest year. Find that uh, episode that I did with them. But my God, it was just so it. I'm so excited for this movie. I, I, I know it's going to be nowhere like the book, but I don't even give it. I don't give a shit. I just like there's just a, a few key things that I'm really excited that I'm hoping to see in the movie. Nice. Well, I'm excited for your excitement. I'm going to talk about something that's near and dear to your heart. And I know that because I've heard you talk about it on Fright School. And I feel like we could not be more different on our take on this show. Um, But I want to talk about season four of You. Um, Oh! Which which for me was my favorite season since the first season. Um, Which I did not like what they did with You when it moved to Netflix. Um, I was like, okay, this is getting ridiculous. And season four, I felt like finally both did something different and also like leaned way more into the campy ridiculousness of like, how the fuck is Joe getting away with everything with not even a single scent of like suspicion being thrust upon him? Um, it gets a little dextery. 
but I I really I begrudgingly put on the first episode of you season four, kind of being like, great. Why am I in the stronghold of this fucking show? And uh, by the end of that first episode, I was like, please tell me more. <laughs> and was like really sucked in. And they did something I, as spoiler free as I can. I thought when the first they did the season four in two parts, when part one ended, I thought, oh, I don't like that they gave us this information already. Like, what do I have to look forward to when part two comes out? And boy, did I have stuff and revelations to look forward to when part two came out that I was not prepared for. And like, I just think that this was was a stellar season. And if you were like me, where you were like pretty much either checked out or preparing to check out, so you haven't watched season four, I definitely think it is worth a dive in, but I believe you kind of were underwhelmed by this season, correct? Um, not I. If they, I was underwhelmed, knowing that I thought it was going to be the final season overall. I thought so too, and then I found out that there's going to be one more, and, and one more which is sure. going to be the final season. And yeah. I kind of that kind of was what underwhelmed me because I'm like, oh no, like. What it, like we're back in America? What are we gonna do now? And I think if it had just been this season and that was it, I would have loved it because then. Oh, I mean, look, yeah. I, I'll just say, I I was in the same boat as you in the sense of I thought the bridge was the end of the whole series, mm-hmm. and I was like, perfect. Um, and and then you know. That was not the case, and I found out that there will be one more season, and I I agree with you. I I like this season a lot, but it also didn't make me feel super great about what the final season is going to be in retrospect. Yeah, Yeah. and I, I think I've said this before. You is one of those shows that, like, I watch because I I you know, discovered it in my own. I watched it since the first season, but it's not generally something I like openly recommend to people just because like stalking and that kind of violence is really triggering for some folks. It's also not like, let's be clear. It's not a good show. No. And Penn actually is very, like he's very open about the fact that like, you guys know that Joe is not like, someone to admire or aspire to no, be with like he not at all is an awful <laughs> awful person and i'm like yeah. yes i get that and but like i it's one of those shows where it's like i i'm always um peaked and interested when i find people who have seen it because those are just people that i get to talk to about it but it's, yeah. but it's never it wasn't like i wasn't like going around spreading the gospel like the way i was with midnight mass no, and I wouldn't. Tr- <laughs> this is going to sound meaner than I mean it to be, but like, if you is your favorite show of all time, I don't really trust you as a person. Like, I watch you, and it is the same diet of like watching Love Is Blind or yeah. watching like RuPaul's Drag Race. Like, it is in that. This is garbage, but I enjoy the taste of garbage. It's fast food. It's fast food television compared to like watching something like Succession, which is like having a lobster from a fancy restaurant. Yeah, like, you is what you is the McDonald's option. You is like, what they call like fotige, like it's yeah. faux prestige. Um, 
and i i really love that i also just like my favorite season of you was i think season two where um it's the first season after uh when it goes back to next uh when it it's the first season that netflix produces all the way through yes also because like i love 40 like that actor uh james scully is one of my you know uh, celebrity crushes and I really loved his portrayal of it because he brought a queerness to 40 that like he 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 actually talked about this. He's like, you know, I played 40 the way I would play 40 that I didn't like make him overly straight. I just, you know, was me. And it was the first time that like producers, creators allowed me to be me and didn't tell me to like butch it yeah. up or anything. And it works so well for the character and especially like how what ultimately happens to 40, his obsession with Joe and all of that. But yeah, I'm sorry. This is now turned into a you podcast. <laughs> these are it's the white, you these are the white people bit. problems of you. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think we can all agree that season three was a was a real tough. Like when I turned on season four, I was like, I don't remember a fucking thing that happened in season three. And I felt like I was playing catch up with the show as it was airing. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. He was in a library. Oh, yeah, that's right. This girl like like I just somehow I completely brain dumped the entirety of season three out of my head as soon as it was over. I mean, season Um, three was like our first season back, right? It was our first season back from COVID. I love the like explanation of how like it's similar to what they did in Glass Onion where it's just like, we have the rich have access to things that we don't have. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Good times. Well, Joe, you really didn't want to talk about the Nana. Like you you were just like, I mean, I'm I'm not too excited to talk about the proposal next week either. To be fair, I'm I'm waiting for this great season one finale that you've promised me, uh, and then hopefully, I mean, I'm told I feel that like season you two might be disappointed. Is be... I feel like I may have <laughs> oversold it. Like again, it's not the overall episode. It'll be interesting to like watch it again. Yeah, you're like it's just three straight hours of Julie Cooper, Oliver, Eddie, and Teresa hanging out with none of your favorite characters. Exactly, that it's that Spider-Man <laughs> like... meme of they're all pointing at each other. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll get. Look, I'm still not. I am always excited to hit play on the next episode of the OC for us to sit down and talk about it. But man, the the Julie Cooper and the the Eddie and Teresa storylines are just a wet fart after you come off the highs that was the insanity of the Oliver subplot. (laughs) The wet fart, not the wet fart. (laughs) I'll see you next week, Joe. Bye. listening to the Geekscape Network.